Welcome to the Psychological Society of Ireland, the PSI podcast where we bring you interesting and hopefully entertaining and informative podcasts about a myriad of topics. This time we're looking at behaviour analysis. In the absence of a medical vaccine, countries have obviously relied on behaviour changes within the population to reduce the impact of COVID-19. Social distancing, washing hands, changing social greetings and modifying work and shopping practices have been adopted quickly. So we're looking at the role behaviour analysis plays in helping to make these changes and what's working and why it's worked. Our guest is psychologist and behaviour specialist Porik Walsh. And Porik, you've actually called this the biggest global behavioural intervention ever. Absolutely. This is the biggest global behavioural intervention that we have ever seen. If we were sitting down here 12 months ago, Brida, and I said to you, we are going to be standing two metres apart from each other. None of us are going to take holidays this year. Most of us are going to be working from home. Schools are going to be closed for six months. We're going to be washing our hands repeatedly, trying to not touch our face. And most of the time, we're going to be wearing a face mask when we're in public. You would have said, you are crazy, Borg. That's not going to happen. Absolutely. If you were uh, and giving me ethics approval for an experiment to do this across the world, you would say absolutely no chance you are going to get ethics approval for this global behavioural intervention. Yet this is where we are. This is what has happened. We have had to change from about February and March of this year. We've had to change so many of our own individual behaviours and that has fed into a group behaviour change across countries and across states. So this is why we call this the biggest global behavioural intervention that there ever has been. In the absence of a medical vaccine, states, politicians, medical scientists, even celebrities have all been talking about how we can promote behaviour change to keep each other safe and to make sure that the effects of COVID-19 are limited as much as possible. And what's really interesting is we were asked to change lots of our individual daily habits in such a short space of time, and we did. So how did behaviour analysis inform these changes? Well, let's look at this from an Irish perspective. Initially, we were the focus was on hand-washing. So this was one of those individual behaviours that we could change. So we had so many different areas where behaviour analysis fed into behaviour change like hand washing, like um, touching our face, like wearing face masks and keeping a social distance. So when we try and change any behaviour, we're really focusing in on those reminders that happened beforehand and the I suppose the reinforcement or the consequences for that behaviour. And this is one of the fundamentals of behaviour analysis is that we need to to focus in on the three R's, the reminder, the response and the reinforcement at the end. And that's what we were doing. You saw across shops that so many reminders were placed there. We had a very salient yellow colour for signs around shops and around public spaces in Ireland to make sure that those reminders were very, very salient, that the responses that we were being taught were were very, very clear. The messaging for this had to be exceptionally clear. And this is one of the fundamentals of behaviour analysis, is that when we are teaching a skill to somebody, when we are trying to get buy-in and compliance, that messaging, that instruction that we are delivering has to be so, so clear. It has to be crystal clear. And then at the end of that, we also have to think about the reward. So for our individual behaviours, you could see lots of promotion around how we were getting feedback for this on an individual level, how we were changing these habits and how they were being maintained by both individual responses and us picking up on the 
the behaviours that we were doing correctly, but also at a much more global level, we saw that there was feedback being given to us at a national level on a daily basis from the CMO, from uh, from the Taoiseach at some, some occasions and from the Minister for Health. So these were important feedback loops that we were getting to promote those individual behaviour changes. But obviously all of these changes are only effective if everyone is buying into them. So how well do you think government policies have been informed by behaviour analysis? So individual behaviours in this context, in the context of COVID-19, were only as useful as the collective response. That if I was doing everything right and you were doing everything right, but a third party wasn't, we were all going to get infected. So it required this social cohesion and this collective behaviour change. So where we had government policy influencing us, we started off really, really well. We had clarity of messaging. This was really important and it was consistently being uh, reminded to us on a daily basis. We had a feedback loop on a daily basis, like we had talked about. At six o'clock, we were getting feedback on the numbers and on the performance that we were, we were doing. We had a clear goal. If you remember back in March and April, we had one clear goal, which was to flatten the curve. This was the, this was, this is what made the uh, responses so cohesive in Ireland. We had a very clear goal that we wanted to achieve, which was to flatten the curve. And we knew that this was going to have an impact for our own well-being, but also for the well-being of others. So data initially indicated that we weren't motivated about protecting ourselves, but it was about protecting that one vulnerable person that we knew. And this fed into our own acceptance of those those initial measures. In a table of 50 countries that were surveyed on self-report measures, Ireland topped that table. We scored more than 90% of people accepted the initial lockdown measures. Now, this was a factor of a number of different things. There was social cohesion. In a country like Ireland, where we all identify as being Irish and being proud and having that social cohesion, that was found to be really, really effective. But also the measures and the messaging that we were getting was really important. We know in behaviour analysis that any behaviour change is influenced by the consistency and the clarity of messaging, that the messaging has to be really, really clear. And the goal that we are trying to achieve has to be so, so crystal clear. And at the start, we had that. It was flatten the curve. These were the things that you do. You keep your two meter distance. You wash your hands. You don't touch your face. You stay at home at, at, for that period of time. Those messages were very, very clear. And the definition of the behaviours that we had to follow was crystal. And this is something that we know in behaviour analysis. If we're doing a behavioural intervention, be it in a school or in a workplace or in a, in a healthcare setting, this is crucial. The second thing that's really, really important, and this relates to parents as well, is is the consistency that we were seeing was very, very high. With ninety more than 90% of people accepting these measures, with the feedback coming from government being very, very clear, and with this feeling that we are all in this together, this meant that there was no differentiation between uh, some people doing it and others not doing it. What we had was the consistency of implementation, and shutting down was very, very easy. That was the easy part. And we had a strong buy-in within this. And it was a very, very good behavioural intervention. When we're trying to change human behaviour, what we also need to do is remove alternative temptations. When we talk about somebody working from home or not going... um, maybe not going to work. We saw with pubs and restaurants and shops being closed. We saw with people's social lives being impacted. One of the first things you you would want to do is remove those alternative temptations. If you're asking somebody to do this and the temptation is there to go to work or the temptation is there to go to a gig or to go to a match, that's going to have an impact upon compliance. 
there wasn't that option there. And one of the most clever behaviourally informed things that the government did was to introduce the PUP, which, which said if you have to stay at home, we, the, the, remember the clearly defined behaviour in March and, and April was you stay at home and keep your distance. And if you, if, and obviously one of the big things when you stay at home is you can't go to work. Don't worry about that. You're going to be paid. You can't go to a gig. Don't worry about that. Stay at home. There's nothing happening anyway. You can't go abroad. You can't do that anyway. Stay at home. Nobody is going abroad. So your options were removed from you. Absolutely. So this really fed into this very clearly uh, strong behavioural intervention. And this is why we had such compliance at the start. However, as the goalposts start to move, we started to see that some businesses were opening Others were not. Some people were able to to uh, earn again. Others were not. Some people were able to go and go on holidays and, and staycations. Others were not. And this started to break that social cohesion. And we found, hold on a second, we have now flattened the curve. One of the interesting moments in this whole story was on the Friday night that Tony Holland went on to the Late Late Show. And he actually said, we have flattened the curve. It was a big celebration. I counted 29 different publications that wrote a story about that on the Saturday afterwards. And in behaviour analysis, we would call this the reinforcement moment where we actually got rewarded. We achieved the goal that we had all been working to achieve over the previous six weeks to two months. We had now flattened the curve. However, there's also a phenomenon in behaviour analysis called the post-reinforcement pause. So if you are running a 5K and you're training for that 5K, or maybe it's for a marathon, or maybe you're studying for a thesis, at the end of that, once you've achieved that goal, it's very un- it's, it's likely that you fall off the wagon. And this we are all susceptible to this phenomenon. And this is what started to happen, I think, at, at certain stages and has continued to happen, not just in Ireland, but in different countries, that we achieve a certain goal, we start to uh, we start to see a, a reduction in the R number we start to see reopening of society and we feel like we have achieved our goal and then things start to, to regress again and the R number starts to rise as a global behavioural intervention we start to see that this is a phenomenon that is repeating itself over and over again. Obviously the difficulty as well when the economy starts opening up is that things change and we're allowed to do some things, we're allowed to do others, which means the message is not as clear. The message that we are receiving is not as clear. So how do you deal with that? Some people might say, well, it's unfair that they can do that and I can't do that, or it's unfair that I can do that and they can't do that. So how do you deal with that? So the, the fairness and the social cohesion were something that were really important at the start. And like I mentioned, if this was a, a behavioural experiment, we actually had a number of different conditions as well, because every country didn't follow the exact same guidance. We saw that Ireland had one particular set of guidance. The UK had different sets of guidance. And the interesting thing about the UK was their changing in messaging really early on, that they had very clear instructions, stay at home, stay safe, protect the NHS. That messaging changed to more fuzzy, more grey, more unclear guidance. And you saw that there was huge response, public response to this, saying we need more instruction. Now, like any good psychologist, I get all of my information from Gogglebox. And I watch Gogglebox on Channel 4 and I watch people 
who are watching the address from Boris Johnson saying, what does that mean, Boris? What is happening? And that was reflected across households in the UK where people were unsure about the clarity of messaging. And in Ireland, as time has gone by, as the goalposts have moved, we have seen some difficulties with the messaging that we have been getting and the clarity of that, that initially we had started with very clear messaging. And there have been some some speed bumps along the way with that messaging, which has impacted on public confidence as well. There's obviously, though, going to be an awful lot more speed bumps because this is not over in any shape or form. We've had a second lockdown and no doubt there's going to be more. So what challenges are facing us at this point? I think, like we had said earlier, this has been, for the most part, a data-driven behavioural intervention. So what we have had is a a massive national behavioural intervention. And when we implement any behaviour support plan or behavioural intervention, what we have is an independent variable. What that means is, what's the treatment? And we have a dependent variable, which is what is the thing that we're trying to change? Okay. now, at the very, very start, that R number, that rate of infection was the thing that we were trying to change. And the interventions varied from, you know, complete lockdown to wearing a face mask, to washing your hands, to keeping a two metre distance, to working from home. All of these are different interventions that we had put in to test and try and reduce that R number. And this is why we are calling this a behavioural intervention, because there is no medical vaccine being put in place. These are all measures that we're having to individually and collectively take. Now, as we go into the future, we need to ensure that that dependent variable is very, very clear. That it's, is it still the R number? And this is where we're starting to see some differences and lack of agreement, I guess, for, for want of a better term, that now we're wondering, is it the R number that we're trying to change? Is that the dependent variable? Is it ICU bed numbers? Is that the dependent variable? Is it deaths? Is it hospital admissions? Maybe, and, and at this stage, the economy is something and people's mental health, alternative or other health concerns are another massive thing that need to be considered. So now we don't just have that one thing that we are trying to to address, which is the R number and which is why flatten the curve as a behavioural intervention was so strong and so clear because we had six weeks to flatten the curve and achieve that goal. Whereas now we have so many other additional concerns that come on board. And this is the challenge into the future is to find that balance between all of these because we know that for an effective for a behavioural intervention to be effective we need to have consistency we need to have clarity of messaging we need to have social cohesion we need to make sure that there is clear reward for people as we achieve those things and crucially we need to have an end goal in sight And if somebody is sort of struggling at the moment and trying to figure out well what way do I go or what advice do I need what should they do? The best thing to do is to go on to the PSI website which is psychologicalsociety.ie on that site you'll have the find a psychologist section where you can find a myriad of different psychologists that can that you can find to to help you address any of the, the needs that you have. Obviously as well, given your role as a, as a behaviour specialist, this must be fascinating to be sitting on the sidelines and just watching this at the moment. Reid, I have been nerding out on this <laughs> for the last eight months. We have a behavioural vac- a podcast called The Behavioural Vaccine that we do weekly where we looked at all of this stuff and it's, it's on iTunes, but it's really, really interesting. And I'm looking at the research across the world to see how are these, how are other states, how are other countries, how are other societies coping with this? How is, and I suppose I'm really interested in the effects of social cohesion with all of this. That if you're talking about a collective of individual behaviours, that's one thing. But if you're talking about society trying to fall under the same umbrella and trying to adopt the same measures, 
all at the one time. That's a really different uh, scenario. I guess when we look at this, we really are interested in the environmental conditions that support this and how they have an impact on people's compliance and people's ability to cope with all of this. Because now that's become a huge issue is the impact that this is having on our mental health, on our well-being. When people are working from home and they're not connecting with their normal social networks, when we haven't got things to look forward to, or crucially, when there isn't an end in sight, these are starting to have a knock-on effect onto our own mental health. So going into the future, they're going to be a crucial consideration that need to be built into any intervention that that is is planned for this. Um, I think the alternative health concerns and physical health concerns are going to be massive as well, that we have moved on from just flattening the curve to that one dependent variable onto a myriad of different things. And they all need to be built into a multi-element behavioural intervention. And finally, with lockdowns and vaccinations on the horizon, looking into your crystal ball, you can tell me now it's all going to be okay, isn't it? I'd love to say that, <laughs> but from from March and April, I guess we had we had recognised that locking down was the easy part, opening up was the uh, was the more difficult part. I suppose we're starting to see some social unrest developing from people who are feeling the pressure of this more than others. And you mentioned in this podcast earlier on about the importance of fairness. And at the very start of this entire process, we had that fairness. We had this idea that we are all in this together. That everybody that that I think the term used was coronavirus was the great leveler that everybody was in the same boat together. We noticed that people in the hospitality industry, people who are coming from lower socioeconomic backgrounds, people with mental health difficulties, and people with physical health difficulties are more at risk and are being impacted more by this. And that lev- that sense of fairness is starting to drift, and we're starting to see some unrest starting to develop. So addressing those concerns um, will be grounded, I I hope, in behavioural science, will be grounded in data uh, telling us how people are feeling. At the moment, you'll see that there are lots of survey data from the Behavioural Research Unit of the ESRI feeding into the National Public Health Emergency Team. This is a really positive thing, and this has been a positive thing since February and March. Their opinions, their uh, their data and their recommendations need to continue to inform the policies that are developed as we continue through this process. Well, we'll absolutely be keeping a, a very close eye on this in the months ahead. My thanks to psychologist and behaviour specialist Pork Walsh. That was the Psychological Society of Ireland, the PSI podcast. If you want any more information, you can check out the website www.psychologicalsociety.ie, specifically the Find a Psychologist section. We'll see you next time.